And if you have a Bible, we are continuing our journey through 1 Corinthians. And for those that have been here on Wednesday nights, we are continuing. For those that are first time here on Wednesday night, that's where we are is in 1 Corinthians. And uh, good news is that uh, you, you, you can catch up real quick in 1 Corinthians. And, but the, uh, the bad news is we're going to go through 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians. Uh, so for the next several weeks and months, that's where we'll be. So if you like to study, you like to read ahead, um, please go ahead and start reading through those letters. And, um, you know, quite the book. When I have a little letter here, it's not little, it's a big letter. But I have to be honest with you, when I start studying it, as with every chapter or with every book of the Bible... Uh, it always amazes me how much stuff I missed before, right? Like it just, it amazes me how much the Bible is living and active and how much the influences and experiences of your life highlights or brings out different areas in Scripture that you were blinded to before or that was not illuminated to you before. And uh, I believe the Bible's inspired Word of God. I believe it's inerrant. I believe it is living and active. And I also believe the Holy Spirit illuminates truth to us. And as we read Scriptures, it makes it pop out on a page like you just, there's no denying it. And through 1 Corinthians, it's just been one of those moments to where studying it from a perspective of uh, where I am now, 15 years after being a pastor, that just, it amazes me some of the stuff that I read in there and see in there. And uh, the title of this message or this uh, series is Church Gone Wrong, because if you read 1 Corinthians, you realize church has gone wrong, okay? And the truth of the matter is church is made up of people. We'll talk a little bit more about that later. And uh, Corinth was a very ungodly city. Um, one of those cities that were, was like we compared it to Las Vegas, that they had a saying to live like a Corinthian, meaning whatever happens in Corinth stays in Corinth. And uh, unfortunately, the debauchery and the uh, idolatry, we'll talk a little bit more about that later on, and, the, and the, just the wickedness of the people there um, was, was great. But the good news was the gospel of Jesus Christ penetrated even the hardest of hearts, and there were people who got saved. There were people who were radically changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ, and, and Paul, in the midst of that city, planted a church. And Paul had to keep traveling on his missionary journeys, we know, and so... Um, as he traveled on, uh, pastors took over and leaders took over. But with every good thing, the devil has a counterfeit, right? And so uh, false teachers and false beliefs and false teachings began to creep into the church and begin to cause problems and issues. And so Paul writes this letter. Uh, and obviously, in another uh, point in time, the church at Corinth actually wrote Paul a letter um, but they were, they were, Paul was answering a myriad of questions and issues and problems. And um, we, we started out talking about how Paul was very loving, was very kind, um, was very uh, generous in how he talked to um, them. But then he got a little more pastoral. He got a little more firm with them. And then he started to challenge them. And he began to call them out on some things. And it's great because when you go to church, you need to be called out on some things, right? Like when I preach, I'm called out on things through God's word. And so Paul was calling these things out because they weren't right. And they needed to repent. They needed to change because if they don't repent, they don't change then the, 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 the results of that or the consequences of that would cost them dearly. And we already read a couple weeks ago 
uh, well, almost a month ago now, uh, we read about how they were acting during the Lord's Supper, how they were treating widows, how they were treating leaders, and so um, how all that affected even the way that they were uh, living and the way uh, of their health. And so um, today we get to chapter 12, and uh, chapters 12 through 14 focuses on spiritual gifts. And when we talk about spiritual gifts, it's a very misunderstood subject. And I have to admit, uh, most uh, Baptist churches, you don't hear a lot about spiritual gifts other than uh, normal gifts because they might be afraid something might happen out of their control, okay? But um, if you believe the Bible and you read the Bible, you study the Bible, you're not scared or afraid of anything that's in God's Word. And so Paul addresses this issue, and, um, and like I said, it's very misunderstood, and perhaps no uh, biblical doctrine uh, in the modern Western churches either misunderstood neglected or abused than that of spiritual gifts. So you have the extreme one way, you have the extreme the other way, and then you have the abuse of it uh, in between uh, both extreme um, areas. But uh, no doctrine is more important to church health and the spiritual effectiveness of the church than spiritual gifts. Because that's how God gets his work done. That's how the Holy Spirit works in people's hearts and lives is through the people who have the gifts of God empowered by the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit empowers and distributes these gifts to real believers. And, and, and contrary to what most people think when we come to the church of Jesus Christ, it's not a human organization. Like, like we, some people say, oh, that's just a bunch of people. Well, it is people, but they were called by a God who brings people together. And so the organization, it's not just an organization, it's an organism. It's a, it's a living uh, entity that is called together by a living God of real believers in Jesus Christ. And it's not just for a social meeting, right? Or a social club. And it's not just for a, a religious club. And it's not just a convenient place to be married, uh, baptized, and buried, right? Uh, it's not just a, a social circle, or it's not a place to help just the poor or get, uh, get a handout. No, the church of Jesus Christ is defined in the New Testament as a living, uh, breathing organism that comes together, that accomplishes the purpose and mission of making disciples. And how people begin be made disciples is through the gifts and spiritual empowerments of the people of God that come together. And the church is established by Jesus Christ. It is called by Jesus Christ. It is protected by Jesus Christ. Uh, when we talk about church, the first mention of church in the Bible is in Matthew. And Matthew says, the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. That tells you the spiritual strength of the true church of Jesus Christ. And so the spiritual body of Christ, which the head is Jesus Christ. That's the church we're talking about. We're not talking about the false church. We're not talking about a church that's not uh, true to God's word. We're talking about those who are members exclusively because they know Jesus Christ. That's why when you come to our church, first and most foremost basic requirement is that you have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Because to become a member of the church of Jesus Christ, you got to be of the faith of Jesus Christ. You got to believe in Jesus Christ and that he has made you a new creature and he is your savior and Lord. So true church members are not unbelievers, they are believers. And so when you begin to think about this, it really impacts the way you form how you think about church. 
Because if you think in your mind, church is just to attract visitors, or church is just to be appealing to the world, or church is to help feed the poor. No, that is a a subset of some of the missions or goals of the church, but the church at its core is true believers in Jesus Christ. And what the church does should edify and grow and make disciples of people who know Jesus Christ. That's what a church does. Now, unfortunately, no one can really determine who is saved and who is not saved other than maybe the fruit that they may bear or walking along beside them and seeing if there is evidence of salvation in their life. But only God knows who truly is a Christian. And so you will have those who become a member of the earthly church that is not a true member of the heavenly church or the church of Jesus Christ. And so when I say church, I don't mean just people who have joined an earthly church or signed a card or decided to commit to uh, being in attendance to a church. I'm talking about those people who've been saved, who's been filled full of the Spirit of God, who is joined together in a body of Christ, ready to be on mission for the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we think about that, it changes how we view church. Because we don't structure our church to appease the world, right? We don't structure what we teach by what the world says. That's a, we're going to dive into that here in a little bit. We don't structure who, who we are and our identity as someone uh, who, who it is. We structure it as a member of the church, uh, as a member of the church of Jesus Christ. So um, it doesn't matter if you're the pastor, if you're the teacher, if you're a member of an earthly church. What matters if you're a true member of the church universal in Jesus Christ, first and foremost. And so that's why when, when we come to church, we talk about coming to a relationship with Jesus Christ to be a true member of the church of God. And what we see is humans. What we see is a room full of people gathered together. But what we don't see is the supernatural organization created and established and empowered by Jesus Christ, who's head of the church, that calls people together, even in this room tonight. And so uh, the power of the church is not based upon the pastor or based upon the members or based upon the committees. I heard a funny joke this week talking about committees. You know, in the Baptist church, you used to never be able to do anything without committees. And someone said that uh, a donkey is a horse's committee, if you can think about that. So um, uh, committees tend to get things wrong, but a church is based upon Jesus Christ. It's not based upon the committees, or based upon the pastors, or based upon the members. And just as I taught here before, every member of the of Jesus, uh, every member of the church that has been born again or is born again has been given a spiritual gift. We all receive at least one spiritual gift or spiritual endowment that through the Spirit of God we can minister it, and it brings power to His people and edifies or builds up the church. That is God's supernatural provision for building up the church and evangelizing the world. So uh, when we come uh, through to be a part of the church, we are believers who grow, who worship, who witness, and who serve. That's what we are. That's who we are. And so when you come to church, that's what you should experience. 
You shouldn't come to church thinking you're going to experience something that fits your needs or might meet your emotional uh, uh, things. All those things are secondary to the true mission. The true mission is to come together as the body of Christ to grow, to worship, to witness, and to serve. That's what, that's what we are. And God accomplishes that through giving spiritual gifts. They are gifts given by God distributed by the Holy Spirit to strengthen, to unify, to bring harmony and power. But unfortunately, when we read here what we're going to read here in a few minutes, Satan's counterfeit gifts to that are meant to divide, to disrupt, to weaken, to cause strife, to cause a disharmony. And God's gift builds up, but Satan's counterfeits tears down. They're always easy to identify. If someone is building up the church or someone's tearing down the church. And when we talk about church membership, I, I always hear people say, well, are you an active member or are you not an active member? Well, if you're a member, if you're a born again believer in Jesus Christ, you're, you're always active. The question is, are you building up or are you tearing down? Because you were called together to be a part of a body of Christ. And if you are a Christian, then you should be a part of that to build up, not to tear down. And so the Corinthian believers here in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, whether they recognize this and ask Paul about spiritual gifts or Paul got word from those people who visited the church and said, hey, let's talk about a little bit about these spiritual gifts and what's happening in the church and what's happening during these worship services. Because when you read some of this, you realize that they must have had some pretty uh, wild church services, all right? They must have been some pretty crazy things that were going on. Uh, either way, Paul addresses the spiritual use of gifts or and the misuse of these gifts. And, and just thinking through Paul in this section here, some of the questions he might would have got was, what are spiritual gifts? How many spiritual gifts are there? Does every believer have one? How can a person know which one he has? Or, or how important is it, is it to the individual Christian and to the life of the church? How, what is the baptism of the Holy Spirit? How does it relate to spiritual gifts? Uh, were some given for special purposes and limited time? And, and also, uh, what does the counterfeit gift, gifts look like? And how do you discern between true ones and fake ones? And so Paul answers all these questions in chapter 12. And uh, we're going to take one or at least two weeks to make it through this chapter. Um, but I want to begin talking a little bit about these uh, spiritual gifts and how they are. And so uh, verses 1, uh, 1 Corinthians ch chapter um, 12, uh, verses 1 through 3 says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, this is Paul addressing the Corinthians. Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be unaware some translations may have ignorant. I don't want you to be ignorant of this. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to dumb idols. However, uh, you were led. Therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. So as Paul uh, begins this here, we realize that um, Paul is not holding back any punches, right? Uh, and, and positively, um, Paul does address them as brethren, because I'm sure after he got done with them about the Lord's Supper, and he got done with them about the women speaking in the church, and he got done with them about some of the other things that were going on, they might have wondered, 
Uh, are we really a Christian? But Paul was addressing them saying, brethren, this is me talking to those who are saved, talking to those who are Christians. And um, he, he was telling them, um, as part of this, I, I want you to realize that what you see and what you have in your church is perverted in the sense of these gifts. I don't want you to be ignorant of that. And, and, and the perversion and the parts that they were practicing was dragged in by their pagan background or before Christ, before they were saved. And, you know, this is no surprise to anybody who's been a Christian in a long time or been a Christian for several weeks or months, right? Um, when you get saved, all of your habits and all of your ways just does not dissipate all of a sudden, right? Like judicially justified, we stand before God just as we had never sinned. But practically, we go through this process of sanctification. And sanctification takes our old man, who we were without Christ, and it begins to work on us. And things that we have in our life and our, and our hearts that are not supposed to be there, God begins to work on those things. And, and constantly, over the years, and even after several years of being saved, you're still struggling with things of your old life. And especially if you, if you live that way for several years, and apparently here in Corinth, uh, these people were entrenched in pagan worship. They were entrenched in this debauchery. They were entrenched in this uh, loose uh, type of living. And so Paul is telling them that here, here you are, and you're a new creature in Christ, but the old life has crept back into you. You've fallen back into some of those ways of being pagan, some of those ways of the world. And for all of us, before we get too judgmental of them, that happens to all of us, right? Um, there are times that if you get me in traffic and cut me off at the right spot, you might see the old man come out in me, right? Or if you have with your wife or your spouse and you did it one way for so many years before you were saved and all of a sudden uh, being a new creature in Christ, that old might still come out when you have a disagreement, when you have some issue in your life or, or uh, even the way you spend your money or how you live your life or how you uh, in social media or entertainment, uh, those, that old flesh keeps coming back. And that flesh is going to be with us until we die, right? The flesh stays with us until we die and we get a new flesh, a new body in Christ. But until then, we have this old flesh that creeps up and pulls us aside. And he says, listen, your pagan background, where you come from, uh, the pagan cults of this Greek and this Roman culture, um, it, was, it was known as the mystery religions, they were, they were very, very strange religions for the Eastern world, and they were thousands of years, and it would dominate the Western culture even through Middle Ages, and even some even today. Um, but for us, when we look to this, we realize the old flesh and the old ways, and they were saying, here's the way you were in your pagan worship, and now you've dragged that into the worship of Jesus Christ. And he's saying, just as he says here, and we talked about this before, you know, Satan always has a counterfeit. He always has something that is uh, looks and acts and smells almost real, but it's a counterfeit to the real thing. And you think about it, Satan has never created anything. He's only perverted things, right? And, and so he takes what's real and he perverts it. And, and from the beginning, uh, God's people, uh, Satan's built a kingdom that's tried to mimic uh, uh, the perversion of God's design. And when it comes to the church, there's no exception. 
Like, like it would be foolish to stand up and say that every church in America or every church throughout culture and every church throughout the world is a God-called, filled church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because we know that's simply not true. We know even through, uh, through, through the years and even through history, we realize that through the church ages, even in Revelation, we talked about this past week. That, that the church of Philadelphia and the church of Laodicea, that's the last parts of the church ages, one is full of, of, of lukewarmness. And once the lukewarmness is done, then all of a sudden, uh, as we see this happening, the true church is gone and the harlot Babylon appears and it's exposed to the system that it was, which was Satan, and it was fully exposed. But unfortunately for those as a part of it, it was already too late. They were already deceived. And so we know it exists. And, and when you get to the current issues here at the Corinth church, um, they, were, I, they, were th- that they were believing in these mystery religions and the forms and practices that they did um, before. And pagan practices were especially influential in the church here at Corinth. And when you read these uh, several things we're going to go into, much like we talked about the women with head coverings and the men with head coverings, you really got to know the culture of this to really get the impact of this. Um, because uh, what would seem very bizarre and out of culture for us was very normal for them. And so for us, it would be like, that's a no-brainer. How in the world can they not see that? But for them, it was very close. And so um, as we see some of these practices, one is one of just ecstasy, one that brings a highest level of feelings and emotions they can to a service, all right? And so what would happen was you would get in there and the dramatic and the bizarre and the things that would happen would wow and wonder people to where they would feel this supernatural aura like they were, they were experiencing something out of this world. Uh, euphoric feelings that makes them one with one another and, and whirling dances and fragrance and smells and chants and all these other things that happen uh, that really almost puts you into a form of a, a trance, you know, almost like a, a ritualistic type thing. And, and, and when you read through some of these things in the Old Testament, you see here, that's what Paul is talking about. You've taken these pagan practices and you've pulled them into the church now. And when it comes to spiritual gifts, you are, you are, exhi- you are exhibiting these old nature things rather than the true, pure church, uh, uh, church gifts that God has given to you. And so um, this New Testament church here at Corinth was filled with priests and priestess and those religious people uh, of the world that were saved, but yet they still had a background from that system. And so um, when you think about this, you see how, how Satan begins to mimic this. Because we know when we read through the New Testament, especially through the book of Acts, what do we see? We see a lot of miracles. We see a lot of wonders. We see a lot of euphoria. We see a lot of, uh, of great natural revivals. And so Satan comes along and now he begins to pervert that and begins to uh, bring those things to these the same way. And so what we got to realize is that people never counterfeit what's valuable, right? So we know if Satan is counterfeiting these things, that there's something very valuable that he's counterfeiting. And one of the, of the chief evidences of the spiritual immaturity of the Corinthian believers was the lack of discernment. And when you become mature in something, you can discern between what's right and what's wrong. 
And so it's much like a child. You know, you can trick a child or deceive a child very easily because they don't have a lot of discernment. But yet when you get older, you've been around the block a few times and you understand what's fake is fake and what's real is real, right? You don't, you don't quite have the same impact that you do because the person has discernment. Well, the same is true in spiritual sense. Uh, as a young Christian or a Christian who doesn't have a lot of influence or a lot of ex- experience with the Spirit of God can be easily tricked. And so Paul begins by saying, I don't want you to be ignorant of these things. Like, I don't want you to not understand the counterfeit to these things. And for us today, when we're thinking about it as well, concerning these things, it's the same, it's the same exhortation for us. Like when we go to church, we shouldn't fall for these things of the world. You know, when we talk about what we do at church or as believers in Christ, it shouldn't be built upon these things of the world. We should have spiritual discernment at what should be and what shouldn't be or what should be in a church and what shouldn't be in a church. And he says, for you and for me, make sure that you know, because you're a Christian and you should have the spiritual discernment of this. And I don't want you to be misunderstood. I don't want you to have this misunderstanding of this because it's clearly very, very important that you understand your spiritual gifts. And when we come to church and we understand them and we use them for the glory of God and the control of God, that's what's most important. And so um, as he begins to follow through this, Um, He tells them that I'm concerned about this and I want you to understand these things. And he says, I want you to know a few things. And and one of them is where did this source come from? Well, he tells them in verse 2 that you were pagans. You were led astray by dumb idols. However, you were led. So he was telling them uh, you were led away by dumb idols. And, And an idol is anything you have before God. And so he was telling them that you have fallen for this in the past and you were blind and weak and you had this idolatry in your life that led you away to do some very dumb things. And you were led away and you were not only just led away, but you really, the word here in the Greek, when he says it again, however you were led, literally means that you were, you, you were, uh, you were determined to do this or that you were led or pulled away by these things. And, and you know, when we really think about it in our sin and sin in general, you know, never is, is it free from consequences, right? Because when we have our liberty and our freedom in Christ, that's a great thing, right? Once we realize who we are in Christ, that's a great thing. But those who don't know Christ, they feel like or they believe that they're not under bondage of anything, Like because you become a Christian and all of a sudden your life becomes boring or because you can't do these things. Whereas really in reality, it's the non-Christian who has the power of sin in their life that has to do whatever the sin tells them to do. And, And so that's how when you come to Christ, you can break those things that couldn't be broken any other way. And, and, you know, for them, they would have understood this. Because they were stenched in sin. They understood what it meant to be addicted to something. They understood what it meant to have a, a life that wasn't pleasing and a life full of misery and guilt. And you know, that's, the way, that's what sin does. It looks very attractive in the beginning, but yet once it lures you in, at the end of it, you realize it really wasn't worth it at all. And that's what's, that's what's important for us to make sure we teach our, teach our kids and our teenagers as well. You know, one of the mistakes that a lot of people make is they tell their kids, well, you know, uh, you know, going to a party, that's not fun. Well, then they go to a party and it's fun. And guess what happens? They're like, man, they lied to me, right? It was fun. Well, listen, or, or, or having improper relationships, that's not fun. Well, then they find out that is fun, right? And, and they say, well, here you have this and that, but 
if you let sin take its course, the consequences of those things all of a sudden bring thing in, brings things into your life that you realize make you miserable, that make you guilty, that make you shameful. And all of a sudden you become a slave to that sin. And when you have to have a drink as an alcoholic, you've got to find that drink any way that you can. When you have that drug and you got to have that drug, you do whatever you have to do to get that drug. Whether it's steal from your family, whether it's to uh, do whatever you have to do to get it, you have to do it. You're a slave to it. And that's what he's telling them. You were led away by this because you had these things in your life and you didn't understand the consequences. But for now, as a Christian, you should know this already. You should know where this road leads. And that's why it's hard for me to understand when somebody comes to know Christ and all of a sudden they, they always ask or try to do the, the, the thing where they ask you, well, is this right? Or do you believe this is a sin? Well, first off, if you're asking that, you probably believe it already is a sin, all right? Because if you ask the pastor if it's a sin, I probably already can figure that the Holy Spirit's already convicted of you of it. But what happens is when we've been led away by these things and we get saved, all of a sudden... We decide to say, how close can I get back to the world without it hurting me or impacting me? And all of a sudden, it gets too, it gets too, too late. Because we take one step, leads to two steps. Two steps leads to four steps. Six steps. Next thing you know, you're right back into doing the same things you were. And Paul was telling them, have you not seen this before? Did you not know what it was like when you went after those dumb idols? When they drug you away, made you feel guilty and shame and, never, and did, not, did not take away your sin and did not, take away your, um, did not put you in a relationship with Christ. He said these idols, another word for uh, the dumb part here in the Greek means uh, gods who cannot answer or those who are mute. And that's what happens when you follow after things of the world and you call on their name. They're mute, especially when you really need them. But, but just as we were singing earlier, when you talk about Christ, he's our cornerstone. Like even in the midst of the greatest pain, he is there and he's there for you. He answers. And he's a part of your life that brings you stability. But yet you want to go back to the ways of the world. He's saying that's, that these are those that brought you to emptiness, to, to tragedy, to these things. And these old beliefs and systems, all of a sudden they wanted to go back to those things. And Paul's saying, I don't understand that. You've been down this road before. You know what happens. Someone has said, do you know what's worse than a fool? Is an old fool, right? (laughs) Because if you've done it multiple times and you've done it, I've also heard someone said the definition of insanity is to do the same things over and over again and expecting a different result, right? Paul's telling them, this is insanity. You know where this leads. You've been here before because this is where it's come from. And he says, all right, I'm going to give you two tests. I want to give you two tests for the spiritual gifts. He says, says, therefore, I make known to you that no one speaking by the Spirit of God says Jesus is accursed. And no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. And if you think about it, when it comes to this, first, the negative tests. He says the negative test is those that were saying Jesus is a curse, claimed to be speaking by the Spirit of God. So what they were trying to do was divorce the ideal of having a relationship with God without Jesus Christ. And so they were coming and saying that Christ, especially if you know church history, and we talked a little bit about this in our other um, studies as well, the Gnostics. 
They were saying the body of Christ was evil and therefore it was accursed. He did not receive the Spirit of God until he died on the cross and then he became God at that point. And so everything up to that point is, is accursed. And then also... Those who were Jewish were still believing in the Old Testament that didn't want to believe in Jesus Christ. They were saying, I have a relationship with God. You have a relationship with God. We're the same. Well, when you look to the relationship of God compared to the relationship of God of those who come under the gospel, it's different. You know what the difference is? Jesus Christ. So if you say you know God and you believe everything in the Old Testament, but you don't believe in Jesus Christ, guess what? You don't know the same God. That's what Paul is saying. You can't say you love God and say Jesus is accursed or that Jesus was not the, the, the Messiah. And so he's telling them, this is blasphemy. This is blasphemy. And none of this is the speaking of the Holy Spirit of God. And, and yet, no matter how showy, how unusual, and how bizarre they are, and how much of a show they could put on, guess what? If you're wrong, you're wrong. And, and you know, if we would translate to that to our world today, then when we look to the content of a church or the, to the content of a sermon, a lot of times we, uh, a lot of us fall for the style points, right? I said this past Sunday, you'd have a hard time marketing me, right? Because uh, when you look to the marketing world of a church, it says that you got to have the right lights. You got to have the right setting. You got to have the right charisma. You got to have the right style of preacher. You got to have the right this. And it's all about style. It's all about entertainment. Because what are we driven by mostly in our culture? Entertainment. And so when you come to the church, he's saying the same thing that they would say to them. Is that not what the world does? Entertain? And look what entertainment brings you. It brings you nothing. It brings you despair. Yet when it comes to the church, it should be completely different. So no matter how sweet, how elegant, how great something may look, how showy, how great of a performance something is, if it doesn't, if it doesn't bring up or believe in Jesus Christ, it's accursed. It shouldn't have any part of the church of Jesus Christ, whether you're a Jew or a Gentile or whether you're a believer or an unbeliever. He's saying, how can you possibly be so confused? You were blind. You were deceived. You're led astray. And when you supernaturally become a Christian, you should be able to tell the difference between what the gospel says and what the world says. And it's amazing to me how many people really do call themselves Christians that don't really know what the gospel is. You know, the gospel is not be a better person, become a Christian, right? That's not the gospel. The gospel is not join a church and try harder. The gospel is not try, uh, try to be, uh, you know, help the poor and be the best person that you can. No, that's not the gospel. The gospel is that we are sinners without any hope of coming to, to God. But yet Christ came to the earth and he died on a cross and shed his blood on our behalf. And when we place our faith and trust in him, we become born again. We are in right standing with God based upon Jesus Christ and him alone. If Jesus stand, stands, we stand. If he falls, we fall. It's not, it's not anything in between us or what we can do or how to join a church. And Paul's saying the style points mean nothing. It's content. And for us as Christians especially, uh, one of the things that I think most Western Christianity churches bringing it up to date today has failed to do is be is understanding biblical doctrine. Because we are easily... We are easily led astray because we don't know the Word of God. 
And here's why. When you go to read something, you go to hear something, and you turn it on the TV or turn on the radio, what happens? Usually your mind goes in the park, right? And all of a sudden, you just begin to start listening to all these things, and all of a sudden, you start quoting things that are not even from the Bible. And let me tell you, this is no accident, and I said this past Sunday, and I really mean this, and it's very true, at the top 10 religious podcasts that, I, that over 2021, guess what name was never mentioned in one single one of them? The name of Jesus. Not one single one of them. And, and so for us as Christians, when it comes to the Lord Jesus Christ, that's the breaking point. Paul's saying, regardless of the style, regardless of the feelings, you know, a lot of people want to feel good when they come to church or feel excited when they leave. And that's great, but sometimes you're not going to feel excited. Sometimes you're not going to feel great. But it's content based upon the word, content based upon the gospel of Jesus Christ. That's the doctrinal, that's the doctrinal standard that Paul says. Whether you like him, whether he's your uncle, your cousin, your brother, your sister, whether, whether he's, he's spectacular, whether he's boring, whatever he is, you don't determine how spiritual they are by their, their performance. You base it upon God's word. Is he preaching Jesus Christ? If he doesn't mention Jesus Christ as the way, the truth, and the life, then he's not scriptural. Paul says, you've been down that road before. It's, it's all garbage. It's all, it's all led astray. But then he says the positive side of that, that's the negative side. The positive side of that is he says, no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. And this one really gets good because when you think about Lord here, it's, it's a, it's a, it implies deity. It implies lordship of your life. So he says here that someone who stands up to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ or teach or to, to give a message, um, it, is, it is Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. And this is important because when we, when we really do understand this, we, we come to the realization that only the work of God can be done by the Spirit of God. Think about that. I'm going to tell you some of the most plain people have been used by God to do mighty things, not because of their style and not because of how they presented it, but because of the power of the Holy Spirit on them. Let me tell you, I have personally have been moved by songs that you would say was absolutely unbelievable, that it was, you know, the, the timing was wrong, the pitch was wrong, this was wrong. But let me tell you, when they're filled with the Holy Spirit singing a song to Jesus and it moves your heart like no one else could move it, you know that's the Spirit of God. And only the Spirit of God could do that. When you hear a message or you hear a sermon and you realize that it's nothing about who the person is, but it's about God and it's about who He is. And you look at that content and you say, wow, that's a positive thing. Only the Holy Spirit could do that. Only the Holy Spirit could draw us in our hearts to the truth of God. And only the Spirit of God can change someone's heart and soul. And that's why when we look to as a church, and listen, we want to do great things. Listen, we want to do great things with kids. We want to do great things with youth. We want to do great things with our services. But it's not for entertainment value. It's not for feelings. It's for the power of God to change people's hearts and lives. If we have 500 people come here every single Sunday and they never hear or feel the power of God in their life, what good is it? If they walk away and say, man, that was a great show. Or, man, did you see the pastor's blonde tips? I was thinking about getting some blonde tips. What do you think? <laughs> I was thinking about unbuttoning my shirt. I figured get me a big chain with an eagle on it. Maybe a little stool up there. Some blonde hair. What do you think? Think that would work? <laughs> I don't think that would work either. But I'm saying if they walk away and go, man, what a show. What a guy. 
He's really cool. Man, I felt so perfect. I felt good. Our kids had Disney World. Man, they were, they were having slides and they got this and they got that. And it doesn't include the Spirit of God. What good is it? That's what Paul is saying. He's saying, when you come into contact with us, when you understand these things, this is what matters. This is what matters because when someone's empowered by the Spirit of God and says, Jesus is Lord, hearts change. Marriages change. Lives change. That's what's most important. And he's saying for them, that's what happened in the Holy Spirit. And you have the Holy Spirit inside of you. You should be able to discern the difference between someone who's preaching it and someone who's teaching it and someone who's not. Paul's saying, you've been down this road before. How are you going back down the same path? Because if he is who he says he is and the leaders are who they are, it's about Christ and only the work of the Spirit of God should do that. And isn't that true for our own lives as well? I mean, think about it. When we engage or talk to somebody on a job or in our, in, in our life, should it be that we want to make them feel good or be liked in their, in their presence or to think someone really um, considers you to be a good person? Or should we pray that the Spirit of God moves in our hearts to be able to share with them through the power of the Holy Spirit that changes their hearts? That's what we should be praying for. And when we come to serve at church, should we serve in our own power, our own wisdom, our own strength? Or should we serve in the power of the Holy Spirit and the power of God and let Christ do the changing in people's hearts? And, and when we get off track, we lose sight of those things. Listen, it's great to have nice things. Most of you know, when we come from our other building, it's great to be in this building. It's great to have room. It's great to have people that can come. It's great to have people that can be a part of our church and hear our sermons and hear our, our worship and be a part of the church ministering body to one another, encouraging one another, loving one another. But if we, if we fall for the things of the world and not the power of God, what good is it? Because for us as a church, that's the most important thing. And he's, 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 he's pushing this through to them to say, don't fall for the things of the world. Look to the things of God. And this is what we're going to do. This is how we're going to follow after these things. And everyone who does that claims Jesus Christ as, as Lord comes from the Holy Spirit. And so as we begin the new year, um, would you pray like that for our church? I mean, would you pray like that for Josh, who's leading our youth right now, and Jamie and Michael, and those that are talking to teenagers who's making decisions about life of who, who they're going to marry and how they're going to raise their families and all those things? Would you pray that the power of God flows through them so it will change their hearts? Would you pray for the children's workers as they, as they work with the kids, as they, as they work with the children that have their whole life ahead of them, that they'll come to know Christ at an early age? That they'll have a testimony that they had come to Christ at an early age and they served the Lord Jesus Christ their whole life, not because they had fun or not because it was cool, but because the power of God changed their hearts at that age. Think about that. How about when I preach or when Josh leads worship or when every person who serves in this church, whether it's just, um, you know, opening the doors or helping keep it running or administrating, whatever it may be, or encouraging or youth ministry or men's ministry or women's ministry. Not that we can come up with something greater and grander and more entertaining, but that the power of God would flow through it and we would preach Jesus Christ and we'll see life change because that's what changes lives. And Paul's saying to them, don't fall back into that old way. Stay with the new way because the way of Christ is far superior. And we're going to talk about more detail about um, the church gifts and about what happened in there and also about what we can do for those things as well um, in the next few weeks. But for now, let's pray.